This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. So I'd like to join in and welcoming everybody here this morning. I'm glad that you all can make it with us. I know we've got several that are out today, and hopefully they can be back with us next week. Let's continue to remember those in our prayers, uh, those that may be traveling or sickness or whatever may be going on. I'm glad that you can make it with us, and I appreciate your participation in the service this morning. And hopefully I'll uh, ask you to continue your participation as we study God's Word together. For a little while, the title of the lesson you can see on the screen is called A Bowl of Soup. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit further, and that'll make a little bit more sense. But for a little while this morning, I want to go back into the Old Testament, kind of deep into the Old Testament back in Genesis. And we're going to review an event that we have recorded there about two brothers that were twins called Jacob and Esau. So we're going to look at them. And to set the stage a little bit, let's first look at who Jacob and Esau was. And, and when we look at that, we're first going to go back to see Abraham. So we all know about Abraham. Let's look at Genesis 25, verse 19 through 21. Beginning in verse 19, it says, And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, and Padanaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. So here we see that Abraham had a son, Isaac, which we know that he had, an, he had Isaac. He actually had another son before Isaac, and that son was named Ishmael. Now Ishmael was from a handmaid. So if you remember the story, uh, Abraham had his wife Sarah, and she was barren until she was about 90-something years old. She didn't have any kids. And the Lord had promised Abraham that he was going to have a descendant, and there was going to be these great nations that follow after him. But basically, Abraham and Sarah, they got a little impatient. So Abraham uh, took Sarah's handmaid and had a child with a handmaid, and that was Ishmael. So that was the first child, um, the illegitimate child of Abraham. Isaac was the first legitimate child that we had, which Isaac came from, from Sarah. So Isaac was the son, if you remember the story, where uh, God had told Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac on the mount. And Abraham went up and took Isaac to sacrifice, and an angel stopped him right before he killed Isaac. That's this Isaac. So we have Abraham had his son Isaac. Isaac then took a wife, Rebekah, uh, who was also barren for about 20 years. So they got married when, when he was about 40, and she didn't have any kids until Isaac was about 60. So for 20 years that they were trying to have kids. Now for all of you mothers out there, especially if you've ever had to try, try to have a child, that is a long time. If you could imagine just going a few months and not being able to have a baby, sometimes that, that's really difficult for a woman. And they went for 20 years. So after 20 years, they did finally get pregnant and they had twins. So if we continue on, if we look at it, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. And then in verse 26, Genesis 25, 26, and after that came his brother out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was Jacob. So there's Jacob and Esau. They were born as twins. Isaac was three score years old or 60 years old when she bare them. So 20 years they were trying to have a baby, and they finally had them. They were twins. Esau was first, so he was the firstborn of Isaac. Uh, and then you had Jacob was the second one born. So here's kind of what that, that looks like from a family tree standpoint. So you have Abraham and Sarah that they had the, the son Isaac. Now, Abraham did not have Ishmael with Sarah. 
that was with the handmaid. But Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, and then Isaac married Rebekah, and then they had Esau and Jacob. So Esau and Jacob were third in line, or, or Abraham would have been their grandparents. Okay. Now it's important because we're going to look at the inheritance that would have happened at that time. So since Esau was the true firstborn of Isaac, he would have received greater blessings as an inheritance. So back then, the, the order in which you were born were really important. So if you were the firstborn, especially the firstborn son, you got a double portion of blessing over everybody else, meaning an inheritance. So if you think about the inheritance that would have been passed down, more would have gone to Esau than it would have gone to Jacob. We see that from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. So Deuteronomy 21 and 15, it says, If a man have two wives, one beloved and the other hated, and they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, and if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath. For he is the beginning of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his. So the right of the firstborn child, no matter which wife that it came from, the firstborn son got a double portion of everything else. All right. So if you think about that double portion that he would have got, when we think about Abraham, we know that Abraham was a very wealthy person, and that was been the grandpa to Esau and Jacob. So Abraham was very wealthy. Let's look at that wealth a little bit. In Genesis 13, verse 2, it says, Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Now, back then, there, you have the haves and the have-nots, and there is a very distinct difference between the two. The haves, the ones that were rich, they had a whole lot of cattle and lands and riches and silver and gold, and then you had people who didn't have very much. And there was a big difference between the two. Abraham was one of those that was very wealthy. And one of the reasons he was very wealthy is because God blessed him very much so. Anything that Abraham wanted to do, anything that he set his mind to from a business standpoint, God blessed him very, very richly. So he had a lot of riches. If we look at another account in Genesis 24, verse 34 through 35, it says, This is Abraham's servant, says, And he said, I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord hath blessed my master Abraham greatly, and he has become great. And he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. So here you have Abraham's servant saying, Abraham is very wealthy. So you have a lot of possessions that Abraham has. Now this is important because remember that the blessings were going to flow down. It was going to be inherited from Isaac, the firstborn. Now Isaac was the true firstborn because Abraham had sent Ishmael away since he wasn't the firstborn from him and Sarah. It was from a handmaid. So he was an illegitimate child. Isaac was the firstborn and he received uh, the inheritance that he would have got from Abraham. Now Abraham was already very, very rich. So if you can imagine that inheritance going down to Isaac, that's what he would have received. So we can see that Abraham gave uh, all that inheritance to Isaac in Genesis 25 and verse 5, it says, Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. So when, he, when Abraham's time was to, to pass away, all that inheritance, the lands, the riches, the gold, the cattle, the men servants, the maidservants, all that would have been, then been passed down to Isaac. So then Isaac would have had it. So now you have an even bigger blessing. So then, even further than that, after he received all this inheritance, 
God continued to bless Isaac, so then that inheritance would continue to grow. If you look in Genesis 25, verse 11, it says, And it came to pass after death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the way of Lahari. So then God blesses Isaac, and he takes that inheritance, and he makes it even bigger and better. And we can see that in Genesis 26, verse 12 through 14. Genesis 26, verse 12, it says, Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. All right. So now to kind of recap a little bit, you had Abraham, very wealthy man, gets passed down to Isaac. Isaac takes that, God blesses him even further, makes that inheritance even bigger, and then that's going to get passed down to his descendants. Now remember, who's his descendants? It's Esau and Jacob. And Esau, as the firstborn, was supposed to receive a double portion of Jacob because Esau is the firstborn. So we see that he had this great inheritance that was going to go down to him, and God continued to bless Isaac. His wealth would continue to multiply before he would pass away and before that would get passed down to his kids. So he was very, very, very wealthy family. If you could imagine, uh, let's say the Waltons around here. The Waltons, very wealthy family, right? Imagine the firstborn of the Waltons receiving a double portion than everybody else. That would have been kind of what we're talking about here, an extremely wealthy family that continued to grow, continued to build, and that was going to get passed down to their kids. And the firstborn was due a double portion. Now let's get back to Jacob and Esau a little bit. So that kind of sets the stage to show you what kind of inheritance we're talking about, massive wealth. So now when we get back to Jacob and Esau, these two boys, they were twins. They were born at the same time, but they are very, very different individuals. If you look at Genesis 25, verse 27 through 28, it says, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So you, you have some other descriptions around these two men. It basically describes Esau as kind of a big burly man, kind of hairy, like a, a real like manly man, so to speak. He wants to go out in the field, in the wilderness. He's always hunting, stuff like that. And, and Jacob was quite a bit different. He tended to like to stay at home with his mom. He would uh, do more like studies. Uh, he was more of a plain man, as it describes him, dwells in tents. So they were just, just a lot different. Um, and Isaac, they, he loved Esau more, partly because he was the firstborn, but the other part was because he was the hunter, and Isaac was also a hunter. Uh, and then Rebekah loved Jacob more. So here you can see that the two boys were very different. Well, one day uh, Esau was out hunting. He was going on, and he was apparently not having any luck. So he couldn't really find anything that he could kill and eat, and he was getting really hungry. When he comes back, he finds Jacob, and Jacob... Uh, being a dweller of the tents, he was just cooking a bowl of soup, and he just had things ready and prepared. Everything was ready for him. So let's look at that story in Genesis 25, and we're going to read 29 through 24. It says, And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day, and he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, 
And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So Esau was so hungry that he, when he saw this bowl of soup that Jacob had, he said, I'll do anything to have that bowl of soup. Now, they knew the traditions of the time. They knew what was going on. And, and Jacob knew that he was not the firstborn. So Jacob said, I'll give you this bowl of soup. You just got to sell me your birthright to it. Now, let's think about that for a second. Remember the inheritance that Esau would have received, a double portion of what Isaac would have received, an incredible wealth of what we see. And he was willing to trade that wealth for a simple bowl of soup. And it says there at the very end of verse 34, it says, Thus Esau despised his birthright. When you look up that word despised, it means to disesteem or to count worthless. So think about it. Think about stuff that you go buy today. We go out and we go buy something and we trade a few dollars or we trade some time to get something, whatever we want. And what Esau was doing was he was buying one bowl of soup from Jacob for his inheritance, for the double portion of his inheritance of one of the wealthiest families of that time. That's not a good investment. But that's what Esau did, right? He disesteemed, he counted it worthless, and he used a couple excuses, and he said, yeah, I'm at the point of it's, I'm going to die anyway, so what's the point? Now, was he really going to die? Well, probably not. We know Jesus was able to fast 40 days and 40 nights, and he didn't die. And Jacob was, or Esau was just out hunting, and he couldn't find anything. So he was so hungry, he wasn't thinking clearly, and he sold his birthright for this, this bowl of soup. So that's the story that we have. And, you know, it's, it's a really interesting story that we see, and, and we kind of look at Esau, and we shake our heads like, man, what are you doing? Like, you sold everything for a bowl of soup. Could you not hold out a little bit longer or go get your own bowl of soup instead of selling your birthright for it? We kind of look at it, and it's funny, but I really want to ask the question, how does this actually apply today to us? What can we learn from this story, and how can we apply it? Well, God's already done that for us, and He wrote it out in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 through 17. He says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know that how afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. What it's talking about, the writer in Hebrews is talking about, is he's comparing when Esau sells his birthright for one morsel of meat, one bowl of soup, that's exactly what we do when we go sell our birthright as a Christian for a little bit of sin, for pleasures of sin for a season. That's what the book of Hebrews is talking about. So for the next little part, just as we looked at Esau's inheritance and what he's going to look at, I want to look at what is our inheritance that we have as Christians today. What do we get to inherit from Christ? Now, there's a lot of blessings that we have right here and right now being Christians, but there's so much more coming down the road. Just as Jacob and Esau, they had a lot of blessings from being in the family of Isaac and Rebekah. There's a lot of blessings in that. But there is going to be even more blessings coming later, and the same goes for you and I today. So let's look at some of those blessings that we have, the inheritance that we receive through Christ. In 1 Peter 1, chapter 3, or 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved for you in heaven. When we look at Jacob and Esau's inheritance, all those things they had, the gold, the silver, the men servants, the maid servants, cattle, land, all that's going to vanish away at some point. We realize that. The inheritance that we have, that we get through Christ, it will not vanish away. It is incorruptible. Nobody can tarnish it no matter how hard they try. It is a perfect inheritance that cannot be compared to anything else. And that's what you and I have in store for us as Christians today. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, "...giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin." There's a lot in these few, few verses here, but basically what it's saying is that God has taken us, and He has pulled us out of that life of sin, and washed away those sins and put us into an inheritance with the saints in light. That God has taken all that away from us. He's the one who qualifies us through that so that we can have redemption through His blood and we can have forgiveness of sins. So this is some of the inheritance that we receive. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, 1-4, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way you know. Jesus tells us that when he was resurrected from the death and he goes back up into heaven, his purpose was to prepare a place in heaven for you. And that's exactly what he's doing right now. He's getting your place ready. He's waiting on you so that when you can be restored to Him, that's part of the inheritance that we receive. Is part of that is coming back in with God and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, being all back in together with them, and to receive that place that He's prepared for you. If we look over in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Now let's think about this for just a second. In Romans, Paul is writing to the church of Rome here. He's saying that we're, we're children of God. If you're a Christian, you've been baptized into Christ today, then you're a child of God. And that means you're a joint heir with Christ. Now think about everything that Christ has. Christ was there from the creation. He was part of the creator of all things. It talks about in the New Testament, where He was the Word that fulfilled all things in the creation. That Christ has everything, and when we become a Christian, we're baptized into Him, that puts us at the level of Christ as to receive the inheritance that Christ has. And it's because of Christ's love for us that He died on the cross that we could receive that inheritance. So when we think about, remember, the, the inheritance that Esau was going to receive, and we compare that to the inheritance that we're going to receive, as Christians, it's not even comparable. We have so much more that is coming for us during that time. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through 7, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not from anything that we've done. It's not from our righteousness, but it's because Jesus freely gives it to us. He freely gives it to us when He died on the cross for our sins. That helps us to be heirs according to His hope and heirs of eternal life. So through Christ, we are made heirs with Him. And we're made heirs when we're baptized into Christ. As it talks about in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29. It says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So what we see when we, we look back at Jacob and Esau, Esau was supposed to receive a double portion just because he was born before Jacob was. Now, did he have any control over that whatsoever? Not a bit. Luck of the draw. He, he was the firstborn. He was supposed to receive a double portion. The difference that you and I have today, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter the past sins that you had in your life. It doesn't matter where you came from, what you were taught. None of that matters. What does matter is that you make the decision to be baptized into Christ and to put on Christ. And when you do that, you become an heir of this promise. So you get to choose. Esau, he didn't get to choose, but he, he got to the, be the firstborn just because he was the firstborn. He got that double inheritance. We have the choice today. We have the choice to choose to be a joint heir with Christ. And we choose that when we're baptized into Christ. So that's our inheritance that we have. And when we compare that, we look back at Esau. And remember, it's kind of silly to say, think that he did that. He had this double portion. He was willing to trade that for one bowl of soup. But now I want to look at what are you willing to sell your inheritance for? When we think about our inheritance, that is so much more beyond what Jacob and Esau could ever, ever receive here on earth. We look at that, what are you willing to sell it for? He sold it for a bowl of soup. If we look at that, we look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, says, For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We think about this. We have this inheritance. What are you willing to trade for that inheritance? Are you willing to gain the whole world? Which I'm just telling you is not possible. You're not even going to gain the whole world. Are you willing to trade a bowl of soup for this inheritance? Are you willing to trade a little bit of time of sin and a little bit of pleasures of this world for this inheritance that you're going to receive later? This is what we see. This is the story that we got from Jacob and Esau. If we look in Hebrews chapter 11, talks about Moses, verse 24 through 26, says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now, if you remember the story of Moses, Moses was a little baby and he was brought up by Pharaoh's daughter. He was an Israelite at the time, but he was brought up as an Egyptian from Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to walk away with that. He chose to walk away from being the grandson of Pharaoh and all the riches and everything that they would have in Egypt because he knew that it was better to follow Christ, to better follow God and be with God's people and Israelite. That's what Moses was willing to walk away with, and that's what you and I should be willing to walk away from as well. Be willing to walk away from the pleasures of sin for a season. 
Now, I want you to think about sin for a little bit. Any sin you want to think about. Think about sin. And when you fall to that temptation of sin, is it pleasurable? Well, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it is pleasurable to let sin take over in your life, but only momentarily. It's only going to satisfy you for a very short time. And then eventually that's going to go away. And that, satisfi- that, that satisfactory feeling is not going to be there anymore. You're going to, need to, you're going to crave it again and again and again. And we can see that when we look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 39. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35, it says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as, as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Now this is talking about drunkenness, the sin of drunkenness, but you can apply this to any sin. You can look at that sin. It will fulfill you for an extremely short amount of time. If you want to go get drunk, you can go get drunk, and it's going to feel fine to go get drunk. It's going to feel okay. But then it's going to come back with a big stick and hit you hard. You're going to, it's going to hurt, and that's what it talks about in Proverbs. You're going to feel that. It's going to bite like a serpent and sting like an adder. You're going to feel like you're, you're on a ship being tossed to and fro, and you're on stable ground. But that's what it's like to feel drunk. And then look at that at the very end. It says, when shall I awake? I'll seek it yet again. I just got to do it over and over and over because it only fulfills you for a minute. The same way that that bowl of soup for Esau, do you think he was going to get hungry again? Of course. Of course he's going to get hungry again. He's going to either have to go hunt or he's going to go find something. That one bowl of soup is not going to satisfy him for the rest of her life. And that sin that you're choosing to, to fall to and trade your inheritance to, it's not going to last you. You're going to have to do it again. You're going to want more and more and more. It will not fulfill you. And what happens when you've already sold your birthright for it? What else do you got left to sell? You got nothing. So be careful what you're willing to sell your birthright for. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it says, For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to the wallowing in the mire. You can see what it talks about right here. It says, for after they have escaped the pollutions of the world. These are people who they have had their sins forgiven. They have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're saved. They've been forgiven of their sins. They've been redeemed. It says, then they are entangled again therein and overcome. They've allowed themselves to follow back after that life of sin. It says, the end is worse with them than the beginning. It would have been better if they would never have been saved to begin with. Why do you think that is? I've done some pondering on this topic and just think about why would it be better for someone to follow after Christ than fall away? Why, why is it better for never to follow after Christ 
than to have your sins forgiven and then go back to it. And here's what I personally think, just my opinion. When you pass away, if you're not in Christ and you haven't had your sins forgiven, you will go to the lake of fire, as, as the Bible teaches us. There's going to be a lot of physical torment there. There's going to be a lot of pain, a lot of agony, a lot of anguish, gnashing of teeth. It's not going to be a pleasant place to be. And I think the reason why it's better for them to not have ever known the way of righteousness is because you will have that immense amount of mental pain and agony as well, knowing that you had it. You had it in your grasp that you could be forgiven of your sins, that you were following after what Christ wanted you to follow after. You were doing everything right. And you have the mental burden forever that's never going to go away that you chose to give it up. You chose to sell that inheritance for a bowl of soup. You chose to give all that up for just a little bit of pleasures of sin. So it's going to be much more than the physical pain and agony. It's so much more the mental pain and agony as well. And I think that's what it's talking about in 2 Peter chapter 2, where it is so much, it's better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than to turn from the holy commandment that was delivered unto them. Now, most of us here in this room this morning, we've already been baptized into Christ. We've already started down that path. And think about that for a second. That mental pain and that mental agony, are you willing to turn away from these holy commandments? Are you willing to give all that up for a little bit of sin and for pleasures for a moment? So when we think about this, the next part I want to look at, how do we stay strong during times of temptation? You know, we can say all this, like, of course, don't sin. Don't sell your inheritance and follow after that. That's a little bit easier said than done, isn't it? Sometimes these temptations come up and it's really difficult. Well, let's look at a few things that we can, we can do to prepare ourselves to be strong during these times of temptation. Number one, avoid positions of weakness. In Proverbs 13, verse 20, it says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. When we all take a really deep look at ourselves, we know what tempts us more than other things. And the devil knows what tempts you more than other things too, by the way. We know that whether it's drunkenness, whether it's adultery, whether it's lies, fornication, whatever sin you want to know, you know that one of those affects you more than the others. One's a little bit harder to overcome than the rest of them. And what we can do is think about what position do you put yourself in when that temptation comes up more than others. If it's drunkenness, do you go hang out with people who drink all the time? That's good. The temptation's going to be harder, right? Do you go to bars or do you go to different things like that where there's going to be a lot of alcohol served? It's going to tempt you more when you're around other people who do those things. So one thing we can do as, as Christians is avoid putting yourself in that position of weakness. If you know that, that something is going to be there that's going to tempt you more, avoid going there in the first place. Just don't do it. Just find something else to spend your time with. The second thing that we can do is continue to grow spiritually. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. The devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made to bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, 
that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus knew that, think about the temptation that he was going through during this time. Forty days he didn't eat. Now, I'm pretty, pretty sure Esau didn't go that long without eating when he was out hunting. Jesus went 40 days, and the devil tempted him, saying, Oh, just turn the stone to bread so you can eat it. I know you're hungry. I know you want to eat it. Why don't you do it? Well, Jesus gave the proper answer that we should be growing by the Word of God. We don't need just physical food all the time and grow in that. So during that 40 days that Jesus was tempted physically with physical food, he was at the same time growing spiritually during those 40 days. When you grow spiritually, it helps you overcome those physical and, fl and fleshly desires. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, we should prepare ourselves with God's armor. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the walls of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the, in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on your breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So here we see, we, we talk about the armor of God and the things that we have. It's we have the truth, we have faith, we have peace, we have all these things, and we should be preparing ourselves and growing spiritually in all these things for when those times of temptation comes so that we can, we can be able to withstand the devil. Now, when you think for just a second, if you were to go and fight against the devil and you weren't prepared, you haven't done all these things, will you have time to go get all these things and put on your armor and be prepared when the devil is right there in front of you and he's already fighting? No. The time of preparation comes before the time of temptation comes. So if you're not being tempted right now, now's the perfect time to be preparing for when those temptations come. So think about these things that we can add to our life. We can go and we can spend more time with our fellow brothers and sisters. We can dive into His Word. We can increase our faith. We can look for things of peace that we can add to our life. So when the temptation comes, you're ready. You can't get ready when the temptation's already there. It's, you're not, it's not going to work. You have to get ready before the temptation comes. So go out and get ready right now. And the next thing we got to do to make sure that we can overcome these times of temptation is watch out for excuses. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 29 says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law without mercy under two or three witnesses, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. 
So we see what Hebrews is talking about here, the very first, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of truth. When you sin and, and you've received the knowledge of truth, that is sinning willfully. You're choosing to follow after that sin. Remember, God always gives you a way to escape. There's always a back door you can go through instead of following unto that temptation every time. But when we sin willfully, it says there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Now, what's it talking about the sacrifice of sins? We know it's Jesus, right? Jesus came and he was sacrificed for our sins to wash away it. But when we sin willfully, we're saying that his sacrifice, I didn't really mean anything. Now, it's, it's an unholy thing. And it talks about in verse 29, you counted the blood of the covenant with he sanctified unholy. You've counted Jesus's blood as it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what he done when you sin willfully after you've received the knowledge of God. So we have to watch out for these excuses that we do. Some of these excuses could be simple like, well, nobody's watching. Nobody's going to know. You ever use that excuse? Nobody's really paying attention right now. I can go do whatever I want. Or, well, it's just a little sin. It's not really that big a deal. Or here's a good one. You know, I can do this sin now and I'll just ask for forgiveness later because God is just and He's faithful to forgive. Well, not when you sin willfully. That's what it talks about in Hebrews chapter 10. So we have to be careful for these excuses. What excuse did Esau give to sell his inheritance for that bowl of soup? He said, oh, I'm hungry. I'm about to die. I'm going to die anyway. This inheritance ain't worth anything to me. Give me that bowl of soup. That was an excuse. He wasn't going to die. We have to be careful that we're not using the same kind of excuses so that we can go have these pleasures of sin for a season. So when we look back at Esau, we call him a fool for selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. It's foolish. And I pray that each one of us will realize the value of our inheritance that we looked at this morning, the true value that we have, and that we choose that we're not going to sell that for anything. There is nothing in this world that we could possibly imagine is worthy to be compared to that inheritance. It's not worth it. So I hope that you realize that value and that you will continually choose every day not to sell it. We have another example in the New Testament where someone did the same thing, and that's the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it said, And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Same thing, right? He wasted his substance with riotous living. He took his inheritance. He went away in a far country where nobody's going to be watching. He can go do whatever he wants. He's not going to be held accountable to anything. And he's going to waste his substance. He took his inheritance, and he just wasted it with riotous living. That's the same thing that Esau did when he sold his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And it's the same thing you and I do when we go trade our inheritance for a measly little sin. So we have this where the prodigal son took his inheritance and wasted it away. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Have you wasted away your inheritance this morning for riotous living? Have you done that? Have you sinned willfully? Have you chosen to take the, the blood of Christ and count it an unholy thing, like it means nothing to you when you sin willfully? That's the example that we have in the prodigal son. Now, we see that when, when we sell our spiritual, uh, spiritual inheritance for temptation of sins, it's the same thing that Esau did. It says in Hebrews that when we, we looked at the book of Hebrews where it talks about Esau, that he sold it for you know, one morsel of meat. 
that when he would have received the inheritance, he was not counted worthy because he did not repent. And that's the same thing that you and I have today. The difference between the prodigal son that we see in the New Testament and Esau is the prodigal son returned. He came back. So I'm here to tell you this morning, if you have sold your inheritance for a little bit of sin, it's not too late today if you will come back to God. Let's look at that. In verse 18 through 24, the prodigal son says, I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said the father said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. This is what God wants for you today. If you've gone and you've taken your inheritance and you've wasted it away with riotous living like this prodigal son did, all he wants you to do is return. He's not going to make you a servant like the, the prodigal son said, just make me one of your servants. I'm not called to be your son. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. But it takes you to return to him. And it takes a repentant heart that you go back to him and he's going to put on you the best robe and a ring and shoes on your feet. He's going to make a feast for you. He's going to be so delighted that you chose to come back. Or you could be like Esau and you've traded your inheritance for a bowl of soup and never repent and just stay mad the whole time, the rest of your life. When you continue to read through Esau and Jacob, all he did was he hated Jacob. And all it was Jacob's fault that that happened. And Jacob stole my birthright and all that. No, Jacob didn't do it. You sold it. And when you continue to read that, that's the two examples that we have. You can either be like Esau and you can continue on that life of sin. You can play the victim. You can be pointing the finger at everybody else and it's all it's everybody else's fault. Or you can take ownership like the prodigal son did. Say like, you know, I messed up. But I know God is a faithful God. He is, he is just and he wants to forgive me and I'm going to go return to him. And that's what God wants you to do. So the main lessons I want you to get out of this morning. Number one. Don't sell your inheritance for anything. It's not worth it. Number two, if you have, and we all have at some point, go back to God. He will forgive you. Just make sure we're not doing sin willfully. and We're continually going over and over and over. Prepare yourself that you can overcome those times of temptation. When we do that, when we go back to God and we stay true and faithful to Him, this is what we're hoping to receive at the end. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, it says, His Lord said unto him, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will, work, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou in to the joy of the Lord. This is what we're hoping to hear from God. We're all going to stand before those judgment seats. We're going to go before God and we're going to lay our life in front of Him. He's going to look at everything that we've ever done. And we're either going to hear this, enter thou into the joy of the Lord, or we're going to hear, depart from me, I don't know who you are. And it's up to us. It's up to our decisions. So I pray that you think about that this morning. Think about the inheritance that you have as a Christian. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, then you don't have that inheritance yet. We talked about in Galatians. You have to be baptized into Christ and put on to Christ. 
But it's okay. You can have that this morning. You just have to be truly repentant and ask for forgiveness of your sins and be baptized into Him, and you will have that inheritance with Him. If you have already been baptized into Christ and you've allowed sin to creep into your life, you've allowed the devil to overcome you, maybe you weren't prepared enough, maybe you needed more help, well, that's something we can help you out with this morning. You can go back to God like the prodigal son did. You can go and ask for forgiveness for those sins and want to be a true child of His, and He will welcome you back. And we can help you as your brothers and sisters. We can pray with you. We can study with you. We can help prepare you for the next temptation that's coming, because it is coming. Whatever we can do to help, just let us know. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ, or we can help you come back to God and restore that relationship, come have a seat on the front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.